0: Welcome back to Green Rush Live. I'm going to be your host today. I'm Josh Kincaid. I'm with the Talking Hedge podcast. With me is Christopher Smith to co-host for the next two hours. Christopher, how are you?
1: Great, Josh. Great to see you. How are you doing?
0: Good. Happy Friday. We got a lot to talk about. We got a couple amazing guests to run down some news that just popped off uh, last night, as a matter of fact. So uh, running through our guests, we have Gretchen Gailey. She's a Panoptic Strategies, a D.C.-based cannabis law firm. She's with us, uh, I believe she's at the airport. Really appreciate you being with us, Gretchen.
2: Uh, Well, I'm actually a PR firm, not law. I'm no lawyer. I just know a bunch of lawyers.
0: (laughs) All right. Sorry about that. Uh, David O'Brien is also with us, head of the Massachusetts Cannabis Business Association. Uh, We're going to talk about um, the biggest deal that the host security agreement, Massachusetts now under the Cannabis Control Commission's authority. There's been some shakedowns and bribery schemes in Massachusetts. We're going to get to all of that coming up. David, thanks for being with us at Green Rush Live. Thanks, Josh. I'm not sure you can hear me. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Excellent. Sweet. Last but not least, in the backyard of where I'm at here in the Pacific Northwest, I believe, Bruce Barcott. He is the senior editor at Leafly. Bruce, thanks for being back with us at Green Rush Live.
3: Sure, thanks, good to be here. Appreciate it.
0: So, uh, David, let's start with you. Um, Tell us a little bit about what happened last night and the significance of uh, really the first news we've seen in about half a decade.
4: Yeah, so for the first time in five years, the legislature has advanced um, a somewhat comprehensive package on some of the reforms that we've needed sorely for uh, the cannabis industry to flourish. Um, You referenced the host community agreements They also advance social equity um, loan funding and uh, social consumption, which is our last license that we're implementing here uh, in Massachusetts, and not in this bill, but we're hoping will come as uh, 280E reform as it relates to state tax collection. So two of those items, actually three of those items, have something to do with financing and or saving companies money, so we're pretty excited about it.
0: Tell us a little bit more about what what are the details of it? I mean, how is that going to influence the capital coming in and or save capital that's already there?
4: Yeah, so your your reference of calling it a shakedown, I think people call us mean when we say that against municipalities, but you're exactly right. Uh, It is a shakedown of epic proportions. Municipalities have been charging up to 3% of gross revenue, and it's appropriately called gross because they take money out of the pockets of cannabis entrepreneurs who are trying to run a business um, and they don't provide receipts for it. So we've been advocating for years that not only would uh, the legislature tighten that up and give the Cannabis Control Commission oversight, but the municipalities fess up to the fact that they've been basically pocketing money for unsubstantiated impact fees um, and costs that don't occur at the local level. There's a reason why the Northampton mayor Back in January of 2021, said, you know what, we're not going to charge this anymore because there are no fees. The city of Amesbury, with the new mayor, said there are no fees. We're not going to charge for it. There's a reason why there's two lawsuits, one in Haver, one in Gloucester, saying, you know what, we're not standing for this anymore. So municipalities are starting to get the message, but it's probably going to take one of those lawsuits to be victorious to send a shockwave through the industry. On the uh, social equity loan funding, we're a little late to that uh, argument for for the industry. Uh, I know New York is uh, attempting to do a $200 million loan fund just for retail for social equity. Um, the first batch of funding based on it being a percentage of excise tax collect will be about $18 million in Massachusetts. It'll be for all license types, not just retail. So that's exciting. Uh, 280 is not in this bill, as I said, but that, that's a big savings to the industry, even if we can just decouple it for state tax collection.
0: hmm Gretchen, last week, we heard a lot from D.C. with regards to the Moore Act. What are they saying right now with regards to uh, what we're seeing in, in Massachusetts?
2: Uh, well, I have not heard much coming up uh, about, you know, Massachusetts down here in D.C. Uh, for us, it's the end of the week and everyone's just happy taking their victory lap on the Moore Act. Um, so things come to Washington a bit slower than they get done in the states. Uh, mm-hmm. We shall see.
0: hmm. How is the MORAC gonna impact a, a state like Massachusetts? What's the excitement and buzz going around in DC?
2: Well, there's honestly, there's a lot of excitement and buzz from advocates that this is passed. I wouldn't say there's a lot of excitement though that it's gonna go much further. Um, we don't expect to see much support on the Senate floor and uh, with the CAOA still expected from uh, Senator Schumer, Wyden Booker coming up. They keep telling us the end of April, we shall see if that's true. Uh, but with that looming, uh, ahead. I don't see any other piece of cannabis legislation uh, hitting the Senate floor anytime soon before that does. Um, so a lot really hinges on that. Um, but people have compared the Moore Act and the CAOA saying that they're fairly similar. Um, and since the Moore Act didn't garner much uh, bipartisan support, it only had three Republican votes on the House floor, I wouldn't expect you to see much uh, Republican support uh, for either piece of legislation in the Senate
0: interesting there's gonna be a few bills coming up I think Christopher's got a whole list of that that we're going to be talking to uh, in, in the next segment but Bruce with uh, with Massachusetts having the first news in, in five years is there any significance that uh, you've seen or read about uh, or that you will be writing about in leaf leaf with with what's happening on the East
3: Coast? yeah actually it's uh, it's quite significant because this is one of the I think the the few states that has come back to take another bite at the apple. Um, too many states uh, are like my home state of Washington, well, our home state here of Washington, um, where once legalization is passed, the legislature is pretty has been pretty slow to pick up any sort of uh, smaller reforms that are wanted or needed. Uh, here in Washington state, we passed legalization without allowing home grow uh, of any kind. I mean, I guess uh, medical patients can grow, but uh, others can't. Oh. And we've been trying to, uh, to get that passed through the legislature every year since uh, to, to no avail. There's just little interest in, on the part of legislators. And they're like, well, didn't we deal with that already? Let's, let's we have other things to do. Mm-hmm. But also, I think, the, the, um, we're, I, I think from a national perspective, or at least for those of us on the East Coast, um, we're pretty impressed that Massachusetts is taking up and dealing with these host community agreements. Um, you know, they were they were an interesting pilot project when y'all passed legalization, but I mean, some of the things that have come out since, especially with the with the Haverhill, uh details, we ran a story last year, um, and this this came out. I think the details came out thanks to Shalene Title, the former commissioner there, and. Haverhill was was charging. What they they charged the three cannabis businesses in town 1.3 million dollars, and claimed impact fees and included uh, training for officers to recognize marijuana impairment, uh, a one time seventeen thousand dollars cost for uniforms, weapons, holsters, and other personal gear for their officers, and six additional officers during the day and night shifts to cover cannabis shops. And like, there are three cannabis shops. They're just stores. They don't require extra policing. I mean, it's it's uh, it was a sort of ridiculous on its face. And I, I think, um, I mean, that was a real shock to the rest of us in the con- around the country. But the fact that the legislature in Massachusetts is addressing it, good on you. I'm really impressed.
0: It is pretty significant to have somebody uh, go after something five years. Bruce, you're probably more than aware of the Class C felony on maintaining and operating a marijuana lounge that's been around for five or six years. And naively, I thought that would come and go in Washington state and it's been around and they haven't even addressed it. Uh, and yet just recently they um, made a move to remove the word marijuana. So they're they're taking time for the industry, but it's just kind of at their own pace. Christopher, uh, do you have any, uh, any opinions about why they would do this now why they would wait you know 5 years and then just kind of decide on the timing of it all
1: it's very it's it's very tough to say i i think that uh, gretchen and i will discuss many times there goes my camera going sideways sorry um uh about but the priority of cannabis versus the priorities of uh, all the other sort of you know world uh, concerning events and, and whether or not cannabis is as a high priority for others and including legislators as it is for us. So it may be a factor of, of that that they just sort of got around to it five years later because they actually didn't really put it on a priority in any particular year. It seems to me that um, that, that happens quite a bit. It certainly uh, happens at the very top levels. Uh, you know, we hear, we talk about Joe Biden all the time. He doesn't care enough. He doesn't care enough. But then he will always say, well, I've got. Covid, I've got Ukraine, I've got uh, inflation, I've got these other major issues. Cannabis, you know, settle down, settle down. So I, I think it may be a little bit of a little bit of the the relative value of where we fit in the in the universe of things. Mm-hmm. David, what
0: are the downstream effects to this? I'm thinking of of capital and what just happened in New York, the quarter billion dollars with Scotts coming in. Is this going to put more of a, a a spotlight on Massachusetts now that it's? Seeing more attention to the industry, or is this just going to hit the news wire and go away?
4: Yeah, I think on the social equity um, loan fund, I think that's exciting. Um, I had a legislator ask me two months ago, is it too late for this? I said, Well, we've got at that time 200 open retail dispensaries. You tell me. I mean, are we going to do the next 50 and make them all social equity? Probably not. Um, I think access to capital has been a barrier to entry for everybody in in the space, particularly um, social equity and economic empowerment applicant pools, which we call them in Massachusetts, Uh, too often black and brown communities that were harmed by the war on drugs. Um, So we we welcome the the fund we've been advocating with the Cannabis Control Commission for as long as we've been in existence, which is December of 2017, that we need this kind of funding. It's, It's taken this long in part, I think because to um, Christopher's point, <clears throat> there's not, I mean, we've been beating the drum, but there's not a, a big burning urge in, in legislative circles to vote on cannabis more than once every five years in Massachusetts as it occurs. So we're excited about the funding. Uh, we're excited about the relief that may be coming to the industry on the two pieces of uh, legislation, so we continue to to, to push forward. It, the, the, the frustrating part about the municipalities if to, to the point of sort of reading what the Haverhill lawsuit has had, it's just been a lack of transparency and blatant overreach by municipalities. And, you know, they've been getting away with it and we can change this law that's it's not gonna fix it. It's gonna take a, a, a winning court to get um, operators to sort of feel their oats about this and, and save the money that they're, they've been paying It's been a blank check. It's just frustrating.
0: Yeah, efficiencies are one thing, but um, trying to get officials to do the right thing is another. Bruce, have you written about any of the the issues and schemes in Massachusetts? Uh, The former Fall River uh, mayor was in jail for accepting payments, for example.
3: You know, I... As a, as, a, as a lifelong journalist, um, a, a juicy story like that, it pained me not to be able to, to, to cover that pretty extensively. Uh, but no, I, I, didn't, I didn't cover the Fall River case much. I did, we did keep an eye on it here. Um, but to David's, one of David's points earlier was uh, you know, that question of, of is, it, is it too little, too late? And I think I'm, you know, I'm looking at Massachusetts as a state of 7 million people, 200 stores, and I'm living in a state of you know, roughly 7 million people with 600 stores. So I'm looking at it from the perspective of, boy, you got a lot of stores that still, there's still a lot of room to open um, there, a lot of, of markets to grow. So uh, it, it's, it's interesting to, to see, um, you know, different states at different um, spots on the spectrum in terms of, of maturing markets and everything. So, you know, 200, 200 stores there's plenty of, plenty of room for more entrepreneurs in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Gretchen, is it, is it too little too late Uh, we always hear about promises made by politicians, and then we seem to wait and wait for things to happen, especially in the cannabis industry. Is it too little too late for some of the bills that, you know, have recently passed the House or or might pass either the Senate or the House?
2: Uh, I'd say absolutely not. I think, you know, cannabis is coming into its prime in the federal legislature. I mean, if you look at it in the past, they weren't even considering cannabis bills in recent years. So it's not as if, You know, we missed the boat, they weren't even getting on the boat before. Uh, So finally, they're actually addressing uh, some of these concerns and looking at them. Um, I think another thing to the point of too little too late. um, I don't think there's too little too late at all. uh, When it comes to the Northeast. Uh, These are new markets that are just coming online. cannabis has not been ingrained in the hearts and souls of, you know, the Northeast, like it is in California and out West, uh, when you guys have had it for years um, since the nineties, really. Um, I mean, of course we've had it, but not to the extent that it's a part of the culture uh, like I would say that is in California. So for like new markets, like New Jersey, um, Massachusetts, which has been up and running a good bit better than others, um, New York coming online. Hopefully, Pennsylvania will someday figure out their legislature and get their assets moving, but that's neither here nor there. But there are, it's a major population base in the Northeast. And so I think that's what's really starting to help the folks in Washington bring cannabis more into their focus, is now it's hitting home more. Now they're seeing it um, with a lot more of their constituents, and they see this a lot more on the East Coast. I think it just rings true to them a bit more than, you know, how the far, far and away California. It's, you know, everyone looks at La La Land, especially from Washington. Um, and it's like, oh, those people out in California, they're all nuts. Uh, but when you see, <laughs> no offense. Uh, flakes, but when you flakes see it's in our backyard. Thank you very
1: much. Flakes, flakes and nuts, thank you very much.
2: Flakes and nuts who eat avocados. That's, I mean, the us we get to avocado is guacamole on the, for the Super Bowl, that's about it.
1: Uh, avocado <laughs> toast, thank you very much. Uh,
2: Uh, So I I think it's finally starting to hit home a lot more on the East Coast, and that's why you're going to start seeing some more traction. Do I think much is going to happen this year? No. I think maybe you'll see safe banking. Maybe the HOPE Act coupled with safe banking can get through. Uh, I think that's all you're going to see on the federal side. But the conversation has started, and I think it's going to keep coming in in, in the coming years.
1: If I might add something, Josh, I, I, I agree with Gretchen uh, almost uh, on most things, even though you might not think so, Gretchen, but I really do, actually. Uh, but one of the things I think that's helping us push this conversation, and it's sort of the business that all of us are in, really, which is bringing the stories of cannabis out of the context of the stoner culture of California and the Pineapple Express and the Chichin Chong and all that, pulling it away from that and making sure that it's centered on normal people's actual experience, whether it's medicinal or whether it's used for a mental health condition or a chronic pain where 30% of Americans suffer from it, like putting it in the mainstream and really making it much more normalized is really helping the cause. And as much as we can do that, I think that it helps hopefully push the ball down the field uh, in Washington and, and the state legislatures as well.
3: Yeah, c- picking up on that, I think that um, the uh, coming of retail stores in New Jersey and then New York is really going to help. Um, but also, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens when Virginia opens, like that. And I mean, that is not just DC's backyard; that's DC, right? <laughs> Um, sure. So I, it's, it'll be really interesting to see what affect those um, eastern states. I mean, Massachusetts already made great inroads there, um, but then coming in with New Jersey, New York, and then, you know, Virginia right there in D.C. will be will be interesting to watch and to see how many uh, how many votes eventually turn when those states you know open their stores.
2: Well, and to Bruce's point, Virginia is a very conservative state. I mean, out, other than the suburbs of Washington, D.C., it's a highly conservative state. To, so to see how they embrace cannabis is definitely going to be interesting. Um, and some of the early dispensaries we've seen open have been uh, down around the Virginia Beach area, around um, Norfolk, you know, where where all the military is based mm-hmm. um, and truly for veterans and for our warfighters who are looking for relief. Um, cannabis has really been making a strong argument. And a lot of, especially on the right side of the aisle, that's where they're getting on board with this argument. Um, so it should be interesting to see how how they take it up because Virginia is definitely going to take a much more conservative approach to it, but they're ready to get into this.
0: Point. What, do, what do the people of Massachusetts have to look forward to if when the Massachusetts adult use market, uh, reaches its maturity what's that going to look like is it fairly conservative right now like Arizona that likes vape pens but not pre-rolls you know we're seeing California 40 percent flower what is the what does the market share what do people enjoy in the Massachusetts market I'm wondering both from a consumer standpoint as well as businesses and investors that are looking to come into the market and where they might settle out that to me sure David go for
4: it yeah, I mean, flower rules still uh, edibles and vapes, um, not far behind, I, I think, as the market matures, we're starting to see prices start to come down a little bit for the consumer. Um, so now you're starting to see some operators say, uh Oh, I was I was thinking these high prices would last last forever and my, my price per pound is is at a certain point and I, I didn't plan for this. Um, so that, that that offering, I, we're a pretty wide offering of, of all types of products. I think there isn't, uh, I don't think there's much that we're not offering here. So that is exciting for the consumer. It's exciting for the operator to be able to offer that. But we're starting to see some some um, price drops now with with more and more um, cultivation and manufacturing hitting the market to provide to those 200 and now seven stores open. Um, but there's right behind that, there's another, I think almost 200, 180. Uh, stores that are in the queue to open and then there's another I think twice as much uh, cultivation in the pipeline that could open so when all that hits the market prices are going to drop
2: and Massachusetts also enjoys being in the close proximity to New York which has yet to put one reg together Um, we've seen from when legislation generally passes, it takes about two years for a market to get up and running. So Massachusetts is still going to be able to play off of New York still trying to get their act together. Uh, This past summer, I went up uh, to the Berkshires to check it out. And, you know, my friend was telling me so much about the Berkshire cannabis scene. I'm like, okay. Um, And so I went up there to see it. And she said they're trying to become the Humboldt of the East Coast. I'm like, all right, well, I think you guys got a little ways to go. But speaking to a, a dispensary owner there, he's in a town, I think it was Lenox, Massachusetts. Um, he said population 6,000. He's like average on week. I see about 7,000 customers coming through the doors during tourism season. Just people are piling through there left and right. Um, so I think they're going to do just fine.
4: One of the yeah, think New York and Connecticut are frequent customers to Western Mass and the Berkshires for sure.
3: One of the things that we find, um, you know, when we do our our annual jobs report at Leafly, we look at sales in every state and we look at how that's broken down into different product categories. And I remember, you know, I remember six years ago when there was a lot of assumption about with the maturing of markets that you would see um, sales of flour drop pretty precipitously as edibles and other form factors like, you know, vape pens and things like that came into the market. And I've been, I've been personally like really surprised at how, at at the staying power of flour, um, flour pre-rolls, but, but it is still just consistently 50% of, of, of sales. Um, just about every state. I mean, even Colorado, it's, it's, uh, you know the 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 pure form of cannabis still still kind of rules. It's been amazing how it's it's stayed in there even as these more interesting um, form factors come in. And I see. I think we've seen you know you see a more um, more acceptance of things like edibles among non like non regular cannabis consumers, but among regular cannabis consumers, they love their flower.
2: I think I think you're seeing those trends, Bruce, because. Typically, you know, if somebody enjoys, you know, a couple of beers on their Saturday night to relax, they're not all of a sudden switching over to cannabis because, yay, cannabis is legal. I think you're seeing the purists and the folks who've always consumed now turning to the legal market um, and seeing what they can can adopt. Um, The folks who are trying the newer things like uh, edibles and vapes and tinctures, those are the younger folks who are a little more adventurous. But I think really what... We are what we're seeing is not an influx of, you know, new consumers, it's an influx of consumers just coming into the legal market. And those are the folks who are used to flower and and love Mm -hmm. it dearly.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that Gretchen. It's always occurred to me that the people have been using it all along. Now they're just sort of coming out into the light. And so when we even talk about statistical uh, analysis or surveys about how many people used cannabis back in you know such and such a day versus today, and there's increase in users, I've always thought it's really only an increase in people admitting that they use, but they've been using it all along. It's probably, I'll bet you in reality, it's a very steady number.
2: I remember talking to a few um, alcohol lobbyists a, a couple of years ago. Um, some report came out, some data that said that, you know, alcohol sales had seen a 15% drop because of cannabis. And these people are losing their minds and they're calling their lobbyists trying to figure out what's going on. And basically we said back to them, well, did you see a 15% drop? And they're like, well, no. And we're like, then shut up.
1: (laughs) like, there's
2: bad studies out there all the time. Just because the study said it didn't make it true. Um, right. Yes, we've seen some impact, but not nearly the impact that people think is going to happen.
1: Right, Gretchen says, then shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about some advice for the Massachusetts market, Christopher? You're you're in California. They uh, had medical marijuana in the mid '90s, and yet we're still seeing chaos. So, for anybody who thinks that you know, once it goes adult use then everything's over. And that's, that's the end of it. You can look at California and, and see the current chaos and understand that <clears throat> and that's not really the case. So what advice do you have having lived through that and seen it? What, it doesn't have to be good advice, by the way, but what advice do you have <laughs> for the, the Massachusetts market and, and what they're going through right now?
1: Oh, a couple of things the Massachusetts market has always seemed to me, Massachusetts generally has always seemed to me to be centered around its educational base. I mean, the you know Boston hub of Harvard, MIT, BU, BC, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all the way you know across the state, on a, all the way to Williams and Berkshires, and etc. You know, so the educational uh, quality and the educational value is so high. So whenever I see a conversation about medicinal marijuana, I always want to know when is Harvard University going to demand cannabis be legalized or at least access to medicinal cannabis so that they can test it and find out what's inside and find out what's good for people. I'm just amazed that the medical community is not more active about this. Um, They've been sort of sidelined. And if you look at Israel, if you look at other uh, countries around the world that are now just eating our lunch in this way, I can't imagine that there's not more demand from the intellectual community to try to get a hold of cannabis and really understand it number one number two we have a huge problem in california right now which has to do with um with licensing we have an enormous amount of uh of production we have enormous amount of growing capacity and we have a very tiny amount of retail capacity so we have this giant amount of product trying to fit into a very tiny pipeline the reason it happened is because in california the League of Cities came out strong and said we're not going to take the sort of dictates from Sacramento on our city. We want our local control to uh, to rule, right? So something like 70% of the municipalities in California opted out of cannabis, and so we have all this all this production, and 70% of the cities and towns around California opted out, and so don't allow any retail. So we have a huge problem, right? We can't sell all that we create. Small farmers are getting crushed. Prices are going down. Tax revenues are going down. Everybody's in turmoil. So I I think that the opt out um, issue, I think is really overblown by the local communities. I believe that what they don't understand is that if you have legal cannabis retail in your city, it is more likely that, that crime is going to go down that teen use is gonna go down. The argument is always about save the children, protect the children, and we don't want children to get at it. Well, if you don't want children to get at it, put a dispensary in the town because that person who owns the dispensary probably put a million bucks into the dispensary in terms of security and, and resources and staff and, and supplies, etc. there's probably a million bucks in there. So they're not gonna sell to underage people. They're not going to. The person that's gonna sell to underage people and who's gonna keep the kids at risk is the drug dealer, right? So if you don't have a dispensary in town, the drug dealer thrives, he gets to do whatever he wants. That's how your kids get a hold of it. So there's a lot of misunderstanding and this sort of legacy misunderstanding about the dangers of cannabis and how it's gonna attack our communities and get into the children and all of that. And I think that our storytelling ability has to really meet the challenge and make sure that people understand that it's really the opposite. And I we're think that, that
4: Massachusetts people are smart enough to understand that, and I hope they, I hope they get it, and I hope they do it. Differently. Yeah, we're watching that happen, Christopher. I mean, Massachusetts was by ballot, so ninety-one of our three hundred and fifty-one cities and towns opted out. Not all of them took the vote at the local level in their in their um, legislative body to say we really meant it. We don't want to be in, and there were many, many of those were smaller communities, like really tiny towns out in western and central Mass. Um, sure. What we're observing to our neighbor to the to the west, in New York they a a lot of those communities opted out for a reason that was out of fear and because they said we don't know what we don't know and we can opt back in pretty quickly and easily so i think nearly half or even greater numbers opted out for social consumption and for retail the only two that they could opt out i think out of fear because it was fear of the unknown because they didn't know what the rules were going to be i think you'll see a lot of those come back in um and and it wasn't big cities it wasn't even medium-sized cities and it was a lot of towns and villages so i think you'll see a bit of a scramble to come back in in that case i've not followed the other neighboring states as closely but i've watched new york because a bunch of our operators are are planning to do some stuff in new york yeah we're, and new, new jersey's had the problem i know
1: connecticut i mean it's it's a story it's a it's a theme that is happening right.
3: we're we're watching that and, and so um we're so convinced, I mean at Leafly and, and our, our editors are so convinced that it is a question of access, access, access. Consumer access, that means licensing and opening retail stores where consumers can purchase. It's Consumers are not going to drive 45 minutes to an hour each way to find a legal store when the local market will supply them. And what we're talking about right now is trying to re, is reframing this issue. Um, from the idea of opt out to asking the question why are you opting in into supporting your local illicit street market? why are sure. you supporting the local illegal market instead of local entrepreneurs instead of people who card at the door every single time? Um, I mean no. I've been to the, a number of local these local town council meetings where, concerned parents stand up the, the concerned doctor will stand up and they will we'll put it to to politicians why are you voting for marijuana? why are you putting our, our community at risk And there are too few people who are, are frankly you know bold enough to stand up and say why are you supporting the street market? why are you supporting illegal um, drug selling in our town when we could have a, a very highly regulated and safe environment um, instead. And so we're we're working on that on that framing. I think the opt out framing is is uh, too easy for politicians to just say, "Oh, well, I'm I'm in favor of safe communities, so I'm not going to allow this in our in our town."
0: Gretchen, anything uh, that you've seen from Panoptic Strategies, and you know, have some advice for the Massachusetts market?
2: Um, no. I I think Massachusetts will figure out in time uh, what they need to do I mean honestly when they first legalized years ago um, Massachusetts looked to me to be you know one of the leaders in the market because they were considering social equity and trying to put things first when other states didn't even consider it I think I think Massachusetts is doing fine I think they're on par for you know typical market development um i think they'll pull together i've no no qual- no concerns about massachusetts there's plenty of other bad markets in this country much worse than massachusetts <laughs>
3: yeah
0: well, the washington True. market is a perfect Thanks. rollout there's there's nothing to learn from the washington state market at all perfect rollout perfect uh, model and uh nothing Boy. from this petri
3: dish experiment i will shout out to massachusetts and the data your state puts online every single week every month we love it it's it's it is they are truly the the, the far and away the leader in data transparency and, and, and as, as reporters and editors that is it is uh, we love it
4: yeah they built that in from the very beginning and they, they do deserve a ton of credit for that uh mm-hmm. sean collins and his team over at the cannabis control commission and again i mean Part of this is to be able to tell that story again to, to our friends in New York. Uh, we've been hosting delegations coming here who are like, show me what this looks like. Like, so how far into this industry you are Are you? And, you know, like last months ago, we hit the 2.5, 2.6, 2.7 billion dollars in sales mark from the first two stores opening from November of 2018 to present day. It's not a theory anymore. It's not an experiment. Is it, oh, will it work? Did the sky fall? Last time I checked, the sun came out today, you know. Right. This is not plutonium. You just need to tell people that, you know, and and framing it is an interesting um, sort of you're going to support the illicit market and the legal market and the legal market, and here's all the benefits of the legal market. We have a vested interest in selling that. But to to say you then by not supporting the legal market, you are therefore supporting the illicit market. And that's not a good thing.
1: Sure. I, I maintain that actually anyone in America, and this may be a little bit hyper, hyperbole, but I, I think that anyone in America is, if they want to get some cannabis, they're two phone calls away. Even my 85-year-old mother, if she wanted to get cannabis, she's in Connecticut, you know, uh, if she wanted to get some, either she knows a person who has it or she knows the person who has their own dealer, let's say, or their own store or their own whatever, but two phone calls anywhere in America. So if that's what people wanna keep supporting, they should you know, hate on legal cannabis because they're scared of it, but otherwise two phone calls and anyone can have cannabis anytime.
0: David, we're late for a union mandated 420 break, but uh, before we do that, is there anything that you wanna talk about before <laughs> we go to break?
4: uh no we're excited about the future we've got some growing pains we've gone through we uh the the bill that got reported out didn't go far enough on hca reform and we're going to continue to uh be loud and proud about beating the drum on on the fact that it's uh it needs further repair Mm -hmm. okay fair enough uh we're
0: going to take a quick break we're going to go over uh, some four bills gretchen mentioned a couple of those you don't want to miss that christopher is going to help us out as well uh, so don't uh, go anywhere. Green Rush Live is going to be right back after this commercial break.
1: Pro Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at Pro Cannabis Media, on Instagram at Pro Cannabis Media, on LinkedIn, also at Pro Cannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on Pro Cannabis Media, Twitter at Pro and on twitch.tv backslash Pro Cannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are
4: Pro Cannabis Media.
2: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
3: Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.